So today, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the idea of a town square. I want to talk about the idea of like a public square. Now, if you live out here in Jamestown, we live in suburbs, uh, city squares, town squares, uh, that doesn't make sense to us. We're just a bunch of roads that intersect. And where's the center? We don't know, right? But often uh, as communities develop and as cities develop, they develop around some central place. A town square is commonly found in the heart of a community. Uh, It's often uh, surrounded by different kinds of shops, uh, living, commerce, things like that, clothing stores, markets, all that kind of stuff. Uh, The term town square is also synonymous with uh, uh, politics of many cultures, right? It's this place where people in a society come and engage with each other. Commerce and financial exchanges, uh, ideological and cultural exchanges, religious, philosophical exchanges. It's where deals and decisions get made in this public square. And today, what's interesting about the world you and I live in is that the public square is not located physically, is it? But it's also located digitally. Neighborhood Facebook groups serve as a public square text chats, TikTok, Twitter, these places, whether it's an exchange of an item to come pick up that I sold on a marketplace, a conversation about Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the presidential election, or just I heard sirens down on Baldwin Street. Does anybody know what's going on? I hope everybody's okay. No, you just really want to know what's going on, right? But those are places where conversation and exchange happen in our culture. The public uh, square is a significant part of our lives. And here's what I've noticed. It's complicated in our public square, isn't it? How we participate in the square is not simple and it is not straightforward because it begs a lot of questions. What am I supposed to know to engage in this place? Uh, What should I say? How should I vote? How do I participate as a citizen of my society, as a member of my community? How do I show up in the public square? Now, the word we give to all of that feels like a dirty word in the church today, and it's the word politics. So this is a sermon about politics. I hope you're excited for that. Uh, Politics is a word that comes from a Greek word meaning the affairs of the cities, Uh, One definition lists uh, lists politics as the set of activities that are associated with making decisions in groups uh, or other forms of relationships among individuals. Politics is simply how people make decisions and relate to one another in a a group setting. Uh, Politics is next to polite in the dictionary. Right? The root of both of these things are all found in how do we interact together as more than just individuals? Which means politics is not a really a dirty word, right? It also means you don't get to opt out of politics. If you live in a society, you will interact with other people. You will have to make decisions in a group. You will have to figure out how to do that. That's politics. And so your citizenship, your participation in the, in the public square is not really a choice for any of us. It's only not a choice for us if we decide to move out beyond the city limits, out to the mountains or, or out in the, in, in the forest and never inter- interact with 
So that being the case, the question I'm asking in the message this morning is, if all of that is true, then what truly does it mean to follow Jesus in the public square? This series is all about how we show up into all of these areas of our lives. So what does it mean to show up as a citizen? What does it mean if people show up as a citizen in the community and the culture in which we live? And I think there's actually three different ways that disciples today tend to engage in that town square, that public space. Uh, The first approach that many of us often take is the approach that nothing here really matters. That's kind of our first approach. Mark, we read this story in Mark chapter 12. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him. We know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. So is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay this or shouldn't we? So they're asking him a political question. Jesus, the Romans are in charge of us. They levy taxes against us. What do we do with that? Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius, which is a coin, and let me look at it. They brought the coin, and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscriptions? Caesar, they replied. Jesus said to them, well, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at it. So when presented with the tension, like public life as a citizen and the citizenship as a follower of God and his kingdom... Jesus seems to draw a distinction between the two kingdoms, doesn't he? Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. You have God's kingdom, you have Caesar's kingdom, and they are distinct and different. Jesus is right about that. But I think what many of us have done is to elevate one of those realms over the other. We have God's realm, God's kingdom, And that's really the only thing that matters. Actually, what happens here doesn't matter at all because that's the only thing that matters. And that's one approach that we take to what does it mean to follow Jesus in the public square, right? Nothing matters here in the long run, so whatever, right? Another approach uh, that often happens in our uh, connection to the town square is we can take the approach of submitting, right? We would submit to the the government, the culture around us. And uh, disciples who tend to follow this approach often come at it through uh, Romans 13. In Romans 13, verse 1, the writer says this, let everyone be subject to the government authorities, for there is no authority except that by which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And so this approach uh, to our life as a citizen, right, accounts for God in a way that says, if there is authority, then it must be from him. So submit to the authority, no matter what it is, no matter what's going on. But the problem is, is that's really easy to do when the authorities are doing things that you agree with. What happens when you feel like something's out of whack? What happens when your leadership system or your government system, uh, you know, is led by human beings? What do we do with that? What is my role? What is my responsibility? Government or leadership is off track. So 
Nothing here matters is a, is a approach that I think has some flaws. Submission is also an approach. I think it also has some problems. And then finally, we get to the third way we can relate and respond as a citizen, and that is to resist. We can, in the name of God, seek to overthrow government of our day, right? And this approach, we often take Acts 5 into action when it says this. Uh, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And there is a long history of people functioning in this exact same way. I mean, it was Moses and the Israelites and the Egyptian government. It was uh, zealots in Jesus' day and the Roman government. Even figures in our history like Martin Luther King Jr. and the American government. This approach, this resistance approach is constantly asking, when is civil disobedience necessary and appropriate? So now you're starting to see our role as citizens is tricky. It is not simple. It is not straightforward. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of background to each of these kind of stories that we see here in the gospel and in the Bible. On its face, they seem like clear black and white approaches. And actually, I think they all have merit. And I also think they all fall short of the gospel in some ways. Because I think being a follower of Jesus and a citizen of our town square is difficult. It's way more complicated than simply, well, who do I vote for? Or how are my tax dollars spent? And so today I want to give you a different lens as a citizen in the town square, in the public space that you inhabit in your community. I want to give us a different way to ask the question, what does it mean to follow God as a citizen in a broken society? And so with that in mind, I want to go back to Paul. We've kind of been looking a lot at Paul over this series as Paul's this guy who, you know, obviously wrote a lot of the New Testament. He wrote the New Testament as letters to his friends and to churches and, and these letters are often like, hey, I want to help you follow Jesus where you are. That's what's great about Paul is he's like, I want to help you in the end follow Jesus. And Paul himself says, look, I'm not the best, but I am doing my best to follow Jesus. So Paul will say things like, follow me as I follow Christ. When I'm writing to you, I'm writing as if this is the way I'm doing my best to follow Christ. And so with that in mind, I think Paul gives us three different values that can interactions in the public square. Three different Rather than to fight for policies or perspectives, Paul gives us filters. He's like, if you put these filters on your glasses, then you will always sort of end up in the right direction. You just apply this to all of your decision-making, all of your interaction. So he gives us these ways of living that he models for us in the public square. And I want to start in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I just want to start and read through what what he writes. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. 
To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. Paul likes parenthetical statements. I'm not sure if you about him. It makes him difficult to read sometimes. I always encourage people, read Paul out loud if you can, because it helps you process. So he's saying, like, listen, to the Jews, I became like this. To people who are living under the law, even though I, I do like, or, or I don't, I, I, I'm going to be like that, right? And then he says, uh, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I its blessings. So this is Paul talking about how he interacts wherever when he's up in the public square, he says, this is how I do it. And so I think we have some lessons we can learn from him about what biblical citizenship looks like. And the first thing I notice about Paul's understanding of biblical citizenship is that it is personal. Biblical citizenship is personal. What does that mean? First and foremost, it means that he starts with people who are in front of him. Paul starts with the people who are in front of him. He does not start with nameless, faceless groups or ideas of people. He does not start in the abstract. He starts with the people who are in front of them. And I mentioned this, this last week as we were talking about Timothy, that Paul's mission is always personal. It always involves actual people, not just ideas of people. His mission has names attached to it. And so when we live as citizens in a community, in a state, in a country, I think it's easy to think about they and, and, and them and us as these sort of like faceless groups. We do that all the time. We've been accustomed to it. And what do we do? We create versions of people. We create personalities to focus on. Honestly, I think it's the reason why being the president of the United States is such a lightning rod for us. Because in the midst of a whole abstract group of people that are in our country, that's a name and that's a face that I can look at. And I can argue with and I can blame uh, or I can love or whatever it is. We can focus in that direction. And that's why uh, it's important for us to recognize if we show up in the public square, biblical citizenship is personal. For Paul, when he uses the language of I became blank for blank, personal stories. To the Jews he knows, to the Gentiles he knows, I became like one of them because I think that was the best way to relate to them. And so the challenge for us, therefore, is to personally not abstractly about our citizenship. Biblical citizenship is not just how you vote. This is about how you interact with your community, with people. Which means if you have a circle that is impenetrable, that's actually not a good model of biblical citizenship. If uh, the only kind of group of people in your community that you engage with is your church, it's actually not biblical citizenship. If you're not engaged in the life of the people in your community, if you cannot put faces and names with the issues that get brought up all the time, there's a challenge there for us. I tell this story all the time, but uh, as we were planting 
church eight years ago, in particular, as I was processing through my own life to, to uh, lead this charge and say, hey, plant this church. It wasn't something I was seeking, but it was something I felt like he was inviting me into. And I said, God, why? What's the, what's the reason, you know? Uh, and, and he just said, look at all these houses. I remember I was at that time, I was training for a big race. And, and he said, look around and what do you see? And you see all these homes. And I remember like God in my heart kind of saying to me, like, who do you think live there? And I said, I do. I live right over here. He's like, yeah, exactly. And you have a story. And you have parts of your story that nobody else knows. You have parts in your story that you have kept hidden. You have brokenness in your story that is hidden away behind the front doors of those houses. Don't you think that's true in every other home in this neighborhood? It's hard to argue with God at that point, right? Yeah, of course. And so my hope when we planted this church is to say, I think God's calling us to get behind the front doors of people's homes to get to know those stories, to get to know those lives, to get to know those struggles and those joys. And what I have found in doing that is, you know, I've come to love so many of you. And I've also found that that is actually what Paul's talking about when he models for us, what does it mean to be a community? Biblical citizenship is personal. That's the first thing we learn from Paul. The second thing we learn from Paul is that biblical citizenship is also humble. It's personal, but it's also humble. Because not only does Paul think about who's in front of him, the other thing he does is he starts at level, whatever it might be. I became them, he says. I started with their experience. Not start with his opinion. He does not start with his own facts. He does not start with his own, I'm right uh, and you're wrong. He doesn't start with even any kind of truth. He starts with, I want to see what they see. I want to experience what they experience. I want to start with where they are. And there's a story in his life where Paul travels to the Greek city of Athens. It's this center of philosophy and thinking that is honestly foundational to a lot of our culture today. Really, really smart people in Athens, in Greek, in Greece at this time. And he comes up of really smart strangers with this completely unfamiliar message about the one true God named Yahweh that comes out of the God of, of the Hebrews and his son, Jesus Christ. And he has a lot of he could approach this group of people with this message, doesn't he? He could come in with his picket signs. He could come in with big speeches. He could come in with uh, trying to grassroots change the laws so they have to follow that way of life. But what he does is he actually steps into their daily roundtable academic discourse. Every day, these smart guys get together and talk about these big ideas. And after a few days uh, of Paul being here, they say, man, you've got, your ideas are actually really interesting. Why don't you lead our next discussion tomorrow? And then in Acts chapter 17, verse 22, this is what he does. Paul then stood up in the meeting at the Areopagus, excuse me, I don't speak Greek, and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. 
For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you who are ignorant about the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So again, Paul could have approached his interaction in the public square a lot of different ways. Could have started with, let me tell you what I don't. Let me tell you how you've gotten it all wrong. But if you look at the verbs in this sentence, if you diagram the sentences and look at the verbs, you notice something. Because the first verb is that he walked around. He didn't start by talking at all. Paul walked around. He became part of this space, of this community. He dwelt in it. I don't know for how long. I don't know if he walked around there for months or days or hours. But that's how he started. And then the second verb he uses, he says, I looked carefully I walked around and I paid attention to the things that mattered to you. I understand your point of view, your perspective. And then third verb that's in there, he says, I found something. I walked around, paid attention, and I found something that I think could bridge the divide between my way of thinking, my way of living, and yours. I found something. And I see that you're like really religious people. You have this all-known God. You have all these gods. You have so many of these gods that you have this extra one that says, I don't know what this God is. We missed one in our religion. We've got it right here. That's literally why it exists. And Paul says, I noticed that about you. But there's far more to this than you think there is. And I want to bring that into the conversation approach to the public square. Humility. Starts with where they are, finds things that are meaningful to them, understands their perspective, and bridges the gap between them. Paul's approach to the public square is humility. So what's yours? What is your approach to the community, to the culture, to the politics of our particular day? It's not hard to function out of black and white, or just drawing clear lines right and wrong. You can do that, but that's more uh, of a simple way to do it. The difficult way of following Jesus not only requires us to be personally engaged with each other, it also requires some level of humility. It requires humility of our beliefs, in our speech, in our interactions, in our support of those who see things differently than we do. So those are the first two things that Paul models for us about biblical citizenship. It's personal and it's humble. And finally, he notes that biblical citizenship also bears fruit in you. You're starting to see that our responsibility in the public square is not simply about fruit that shows up in your life. And I can think of no better discussion around that than when Paul writes to his friends in the city of Galatia. And he talks exactly about that in Galatians chapter 5. He says, the acts are obvious. Morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. 
I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, forbearance, we call it patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So believe it or not, that section, it's kind of famous if you've been around the church for a while, the fruit of the Spirit, we call it, right? That section is political. He is talking about our citizenship. If politics are the ways in which we uh, interact and make decisions as a group of individuals, then Paul calls out the way we engage with one another. And first he talks about sexuality, and then he sort of moves on to these other things. As you are engaging with one another in the public sphere, pay attention to these problems, discord, factions, envy, fits of anger and rage, selfish ambition. If those what mark your engagement in the public space, then we're missing it. Big, We are out of step with the spirit, he says. Which to me, reading this in 2024, seems ironic that those things mark exactly what politics in our world looks like today, doesn't it? Factions, discord, Selfish ambition. It's very common for us. We know that. Our news and social media seems to be fueled by those exact same things. And that's why Paul's words are so important. Because what he's talking about in that space as, as citizens, he's not talk about, talking about what everybody doing, what everybody else ought to do. How do you fix everybody else? He's talking about you. He's saying what you do in the public space becomes so important because you are followers of Jesus in this society. And your job is not to remove yourself from it, to isolate from it. Your job is to show up. And instead of being marked by what's normal, you're marked by patience. You are marked by self-control. You are marked by joy People look at you and they're like, this person behaves kindness. People engage with you and they find gentleness. That does not look like how we engage as a culture today. That's why Paul calls it out. He says, if you do that, so many things can change. It is easy to think about politics as a way to get others to But biblical citizenship is what changes in your life, is the fruit that grows on your tree and how that can change our community. Biblical citizenship is not simply about forcing other people to live the way you want them to live. It is truly about cultivating these kind of fruit in your own life. So let's ask ourselves today, is your citizenship personal first and foremost? Are you an issues person or a names person? Is it personal to you? Second, is your citizenship humble? Are you meeting people where they are at? Are you seeking to understand? Is your citizenship fruitful? What 
your interactions with others in decision-making. This can be in your, your project at school. This could uh, be with your coworkers. This could be in your small group. This could be in your church. What marks your engagement with other people? Is it kindness? Is it patience? Is it self-control? Or is it something else? If your citizenship, if your engagement with others is not personal, humble, and fruitful, it's likely not very biblical, at least not according to Paul. I know it's far easier to argue about simple things like taxes or policies, but that's not what it means to be a disciple in the public square. Our calling is much more difficult. And it's not as simple as choosing to resist the government or submit to the government or even... uh, if this world is immaterial and doesn't matter. To be a disciple in our town square today is to be humble and fruitful. And I'll just end with this story. Someone shared with me uh, this week about a couple who posted in their town square, right, their neighborhood Facebook group, that they were new to the neighborhood and they wanted, uh, they were seeking out a local church. And they had this like list of things. You've seen right? I'm looking for a church. Uh, these are the things I really like in a church. Uh, I, I need this. That's really important to me. It's got a really need a really good band. Um, because I like to sing. Um, I prefer to watch live preachers, not video screen preachers. Um, I've got kids in this age and I need this for them. And, and, and this person, they said, there's obviously then a stream full of recommendations, people pitching their church programs. Which again is not unusual, but what stood out this person is that in the midst of this sea of church advertisements, uh, there was a pastor who simply invited people to his house for dinner, and that struck me. It wasn't me. <laughs> it's not a story about me, but it challenged me. Right? How do I engage in the public sphere? Am I personal? Am I humble? Am I fruitful? Or am I focused on convincing or selling or winning? Getting what I want. I so appreciate the kind of person who steps into our call. I just want to invite you over to my house. How do we engage as a member of our society? We can vote for our favorite things or we can invite people over for dinner. Lord Jesus Christ, I am uh, grateful today that you are a God who draws us close, that you are a personal God. And I confess that when it comes to my own engagement uh, around our and our society, it's easy to make that. So God, I pray for all of us that we would be people in our communities who are personal, who are humble. God, I do pray that you would cultivate the fruit of the spirit in our lives that when they interact with me, when they interact with my friends here in this church, that they would see more of you as a result of that, God. I'm grateful for those who invite people over to their house for dinner. I'm grateful for those of us who go beyond the front door and learn the stories of the people in our community. And I pray that through that work, uh, more would find their way back to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.